0: This is Women Crush Wednesdays from New York Women in Film and Television. We cover all facets of women working in entertainment and media, along with highlighting accomplishments of our members and previewing upcoming events. Welcome back, everyone. I am Janine McGoldrick, and we are so excited to begin our fall season. And today I am here with the amazing Tammy Reese. Hi, Tammy. It's so great to see you after all of our time off. And and although this is audio, we record via Zoom so that I can always see Tammy's smiling face because it warms my heart.
1: Oh, Janine, you are amazing as well. Yay, we are back. It's so exciting. It seemed like the summer was a long break, but it flew by fast. What were you up to this summer?
0: Trying to progress my documentary forward. I'm doing some events and freelance work. And what about you? What have you been up to?
1: With family, my son had graduated middle school in June and then he turned 14 in August. I covered one of the horror film festivals this past August in New Jersey, and then my son started school this beginning of September. It's just like the time is just going by, just watching him grow up, wanted to spend the summer with him.
0: Yeah, the it's really been a crazy, crazy summer, and as, as everybody knows in the industry. We have two strikes going on. When we had left our podcast for our summer break, it was just the writer strike, and then since then the actor strike started as well. Basically, you know, Hollywood is shut down, but negotiations are ongoing, and as of our taping, I think the writers' guild are looking at another possible agreement today, and maybe by the time this airs, At least one of the strikes will be over. Beyond just halting production, a lot of talent prevented from promoting their films, whether it's premieres or going to festivals like Telluride in Toronto, which just happened and the New York Film Festival is coming up. And a lot of people won't be able to attend because
1: the strikes are still happening. Right, Janine. And not only that, but the Emmy Awards, which usually take place mid-September, has been postponed to January. 2024. And Janine, also, I'm sure you have heard the latest uproar over Drew Barrymore, who at oh, yeah. first planned, who planned to start production of her talk show, then retreated because of the immense backlash she received. And I'm just like, I love Drew, poor thing, but I get it. Um, it's a shame it took all that pressure for her to reverse course, but it shows that speaking out can make a difference. And if you are affected by the strike, NyWith have a list of resources that may be available to you on the website, www.nywif.org. We'll have a link in our show notes.
0: Yes. And while all of that is happening now, there's also a new COVID wave (laughs) that is spreading through the, the country and hitting a lot of different entertainers. It's Amazing that we still have to talk about COVID, but there's so many people that are getting sick or rescheduling or canceling their shows. I noticed most recently Steve Martin and Martin Shorts, you won't believe what they look like. They have a show out in Vegas and they had to cancel because Steve Martin and a lot of the crew had COVID. And Jimmy Kimmel, apparently uh, they have a podcast called Strike Force, which is I think all about The him and Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon coming together and doing a podcast on behalf of the writer's strike. And their whole crew was infected with COVID too, um, out in Las Vegas. So it's unfortunate what's happening in our industry. And hopefully by the time we come back in a couple of weeks, we'll have some good news.
1: (laughs) I'm hoping so too. And you know, as the fall season kick in, the winter season as well, everyone just keeps staying safe and informed. Yes, exactly. So even though major productions
0: are at a halt, a lot of independent productions are still going strong. And one of which is a documentary called Nina, which recently won NYWIF's Lorraine Arbus Disability Awareness Grant. And that grant provides completion funds to a women filmmaker for a film on physical or developmental disability issues. Nina is the Israeli para badminton champion who dreams of conquering greater competitive heights. It's not her real chair that may limit her continued success, but the maturation of her body as both a mother and an athlete approaching her 40th birthday. What might be her last chance to have another child crashes against her first and possibly only opportunity to participate in the 2020 Paralympic Games in Tokyo. While she's negotiating her ticking biological clock, Nina confronts the biases of a sporting community that challenge her maternal desires, also as a global pandemic brings everything to a crashing halt. The film tracks Nina's inspiring three-year journey to try and defy the odds of fulfilling her Paralympic dreams and her growing family. It's truly a wonderful film that I am honored to be on the producing team of, and the film is headed by the amazing Ravit Marcus, who also directs. So we wanted to bring Ravit on to congratulate her on the grant and to have her tell you a little bit about the film. So here is my chat with Ravit. Hello, Ravit. I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. We've been talking about doing this for a while and you're here. Yay! So first of all, congratulations on winning NYWIF's Lorraine Arbus Disability Awareness Grant. So yes. tell us, why was this a story that you wanted to tell? And why is it a film that you feel is important?
2: I originally set out with a very simple task. I just wanted to make a sports documentary because they're always so cool. And what happened is that I realized that I know one successful athlete and her name is Nina Gordetsky. And I thought, great, I have an athlete. Let's follow her story, see her winning medals and you'll be that cool documentary that I wanted to make. And then I realized that she is so much more than an athlete. She's a fascinating person and that I caught her just in this fascinating crossroads that is so feminine that I could relate to, which is when you're running against time, uh, both as a woman, as a mother, as an athlete, uh, because she was uh, getting closer and closer to 40, wanted really to uh, get pregnant again, but at the same time had her first and maybe only opportunity to be in the Tokyo Paralympics. So it became a bigger story that I think Every woman, but also every athlete can relate to, because some people say that an athlete, you know, dies twice, once when, um, you know, they really die, but the first time is when they hang their shoes. And mm-hmm. she, here we are with her at this moment of contemplating, is it coming? At the same time, I don't want to give up my maternal desires. And we know for many other athletes, that they, uh, women athletes, they definitely pay a price for making this choice. So it's a big thing to think about. And I knew a lot of uh, women and women athletes would relate to that because with every career choice that comes when you're at that age, women think, am I gonna unfortunately pay a price for it in a world that is still not as uh, considerate as it should be towards that uh, phase in a woman's life when she has children and needs to take that into consideration time-wise. And uh, so I knew it became actually an even bigger story, not just a cool film, which I still (laughs) hope it is, but a fascinating and emotional and important story of uh, what it takes to keep your dreams, but still not give up your personal goals.
0: Yeah, that's so important. And stories like that are always relevant. Now, you have gone through... Production. You're in post production now. What have you learned about people with disabilities?
2: So first, I want to mention that this is actually not the first time I'm making a documentary about a disabled person. In fact, my uh, current documentary that's out in the festival circuit, uh, "American Pot Story," Amsterdam. Uh, is also centered about two people. And one of them is a wheelchair user as well. Very similar, spinal cord injury. So I have been exposed to this. I worked on that film for 10 years. And it won the Slam Dance Award, uh, audience award actually, yeah, at the Unstoppable category that is dedicated to stories uh, for, uh, about and by uh, disabled filmmakers. So I was familiar with it, but actually both the man in that film and Nina didn't teach me as much as I actually had the privilege of learning from Jim Lebrecht, who's been uh, the champion for this film uh, from day, almost day one. And he's the amazing uh, co-director of the documentary, uh, Oscar-nominated documentary, Crip Camp. And uh, he also is in it. And uh, he actually has been the best educator to me about First of all, just the pitfalls that might uh, hold me in making the film to make sure I don't fall into them when talking about actually uh, people with disabilities often looking like this uh, trope of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, stereotypes of what we expect of this kind of misery story and rising like the phoenix and somehow getting over it even though your life are so horrible and he basically taught me to look at it as this is a person dealing with issues every person deals with issues and let's think about the human as a whole and not just through that disability lens the disability is an important part of Nina's uh, uh, personality it's just not uh, everything, it doesn't define everything of, she does. She's mm-hmm. a complex person. She's, uh, uh has her good and bad sides. She's an interesting person with a fascinating history, a background as an immigrant that comes through in our, in our film very much. And having that, just to make sure she's a whole character and not just one-sided trope was very important to me And the most important thing I learned from Jim, because now when I see other works, I can see easily when it is that. And to just learn to be respectful and really listen to the person and how they perceive their disability and not make my assumptions of, like I said, the stereotypes and the prejudice that a lot of people have. And actually, one of I think one of the most important scenes in the movie is when her able-bodied coaches talk about, and they just front, you know, head in say what they think. Oh, th- your husband must be such a, an angel for taking care of you. And she just said, he doesn't care. take care of me. I'm an independent person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't, if anything we see in the movie, she takes she care of him. We have so many assumptions about who's the caretaker, who's the easy and who's the hard one. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they have a relationship with its uh, ups and downs like everyone. And that's an important part. So I think the most important thing is just not to project my assumptions of what it is to live in a disabled body.
0: Definitely succeeded in bringing that vision and showing her as a whole person. And I think when when the film is out there, people will really see that. So as we close out, tell us winning this NYWIFT grant um, has helped you in your post-production process.
2: Oh, it's more than anything, it's a tremendous relief. Just to know that an important organization like NYWIF believes in this project, it's it's such a boost to one's confidence and you as part of the project, the co-producer, you know how it is all the rejection you constantly mm-hmm. get because there's so many terrific projects out there and you're not always exactly what they're looking for. But you can't not take it personally. Every time you feel like it's me and they hated my film. <laughs> so when an important organization says, no, this is a worthy story to be told and to be supported, it gives you such such wind in your back to keep going, to mm-hmm. keep going in this tough path. And I do want to mention that uh, then part of what made it such a huge help is that part of this uh, wonderful award is also getting the support of Michelle Spitz and Woman of Our Word, which are going to do the, the um, uh, audio description for the blind people and uh, New York ReelAbilities, the amazing festival that I'm very much hoping will have the New York premiere of the film, uh, which now will have a whole seat for, of course, a whole uh, (laughs) row for. So and they're helping both with just giving advice and support on how do we get this film out, which is really crucial, but also they're helping with captions for the hard of hearing and deaf audience. So this is huge. And I do want to just acknowledge that all of this it wouldn't have happened again without you and without uh, Forward Doc, the amazing organization that Jim uh, founded uh, with a few other wonderful people uh, that introduced me to you. And without their help, I never so many wonderful things have not would have happened to this project. So it's just really special to to be here because it's a culmination of so many wonderful people and organizations believing in this project and making me feel that I'm doing the right thing and that the film has uh, an audience uh, waiting for it.
0: Yes, well you are doing the right thing and I'm honored to help you uh, and to do anything I can to shepherd this really wonderful, enjoyable film. To audiences everywhere, as you're completing the process, we are going to keep everybody updated. We will have your social media handles posted in our show notes. And when it hits the festival circuit, we will continue to talk about it. Thank you so much for
2: coming on our podcast. Thank you very much, Janine. It was a pleasure.
1: Wow, what an amazing interview, Janine. And and congratulations on being involved with such an impactful project. Me being a mom of a child with disability, also having parents with disabilities. It's such amazing to see projects to highlight. Uh, a unique and special community that mm-hmm. should, you know, be highlighted in a sense. How did you get involved? What was it like working on this project, Janine? What was this experience like for you? I met Ravit, uh,
0: I think it was last year. Her film, which she mentioned during the interview, American Pot Story, Oaksterdam, uh, was at the Oakland Film Festival, and I was helping her get a little press on that. And she was telling me about the film that she was working on, Nina. And I said, this sounds amazing. I would love to be involved. And she had already gone through most of the production. So she was starting the post-production phase when I jumped on board. So it was helping her Viewing the film, giving feedback about what materials she might still need so she can go back and film some more, figuring out the edit and helping her basically do her post-production fundraising. She's just an amazing spirit, full of energy. And I loved what she was saying about how Jim Lebrecht told her that you need to look at the whole person, not just the disability, and tell that story. And the film really does a great job in showcasing her as a whole person and every challenge that she faces, not just being a Paralympic athlete, but also being a mother and being a wife. It's just really a great film, and we can't wait to to get it out to the audiences as soon as possible.
1: Great work, Jenny.
0: Thank you, Tammy. So actually now it's your turn. Tammy has our featured interview in this episode as well. So why don't you tell us what that's going to be about?
1: Charlie Gillette and Sarah Metcalf, the co-directors of Versace Soft Versace Soft is based on a true story and sheds light on a gray area between romantic and creepy online dating. The film intentionally blurs the lines and forces viewers to come to their own conclusions, reflecting the confusion and nuance of real-life situations. Charlie is a beloved NYWITH member, an award-winning filmmaker with experience in writing, directing, producing short films and feature films, music videos and editorials and commercials. Her background in both acting and filmmaking allows her to bring a unique perspective to her projects. In Versace soft boy, Charlie plays a courageous heroine who ventures outside of her safe zone as she faces online dating's potential risks head-on. Sarah is a director, actor, project manager, and overall problem solver. With a background in directing for stage, she has a process-oriented approach to directing. Her passion is for storytelling that flirts with the boundaries of darkness and light and humanity. Please enjoy our interview. Congratulations, ladies, on um, Versace Softboy becoming an official selection for the New Faces, New Voices Film Festival and the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. I'm a huge horror fan. What went into the decision for both of you to team up to co-direct the film? And what was it like working together? Charlie, do you want to yeah. start?
3: Yeah, I'll start off. I actually met Sarah when she cast me in a play that she was directing a couple years ago um, and the experience of collaborating with her. On some really tough material was really rewarding and fulfilling as a creative. And I've kind of just been waiting for an opportunity for us to collaborate again. Um, so when I knew I was going to be both directing and acting in this project, I knew I wanted a second pair of eyes um, on set, watching the performances while I was in front of the camera. And Sarah immediately was my first choice. Like she came to my mind, and we already had such a great working relationship and a friendship. It was just such a natural fit. So um like when it came to directing I kind of like had a vision for the overall scope of the film and I had more of the like technical knowledge so I worked a lot with the camera department and we got kind of on the same page about where we wanted the performances to go yeah but like on the, on the day Sarah was like in charge of the cast so which was great <laughs> for me so I could kind of like sit back and act <laughs> yeah it was um
4: it, Charlie first sent me this script, I think, when you were working on the screenplay. I mean, we when we met um, on the project we worked on a few years ago, it was such a joy working with Charlie. Like, she was so immediately someone I wanted to work with consistently. And so we've sort of remained friends and collaborators and just like creative forces together since then. Um, and... Really, I remember you sending me the script and we just sort of started talking more about it and and developing it further and it sort of naturally fell into place. But as she said, it was an interesting moment for me because I've worked so steadily in theater um, and I've worked on in casting for television and I've been in films in my life but I'm not I, I never would have identified as a film director so I was um excited to get this opportunity to work with Charlie on it and to really like get an eye on the story and the performances um and and work with actors in that way and then was just so grateful that she had that technical background to kind of like guide me through those aspects of it and also take the lead there so I think that we really shared the workload in a in a fun way um where we got to like be equally creative in some capacities, but also like brought our different strengths to the set.
1: Well, being that NYWIF is a huge community about collaboration, especially amongst women, you two are a prime example of that, that women don't have to compete in this industry, even though it's a competitive industry, but you can work together and truly wanna see each other win and make something that's impactful for audiences around the world. So I definitely commend you both for all the work that you're doing. Together for sure. In what ways do you think this film contributes to the ongoing dialogue surrounding online dating and relationships?
4: Um, I mean, I can start, and you can jump in because it is your your story and your script, Charlie. But I think I, it's such an interesting one because I really do think that there is this sort of like quiet shared reality um, amongst women and really any person that's walking out into the world and and dating. Um, that, you know, it doesn't necessarily like impede what we're doing, but there's just this awareness that anything could happen at any moment, right? That there's like a light threat to any, any date that you're going on, especially if it's an online date with a stranger. And I think that there's, like, I think sometimes about how often my friends will say, text me when you get home, or I say it to them, right? Or we send our location to one another when we're going to meet someone random. And it's sort of, you know, it's a joke. It's, it's not like we don't really like think about it as something heavy in the moment until it like becomes heavy very quickly right so I think that's what this speaks to that it's it's something that is just always there and it's this this light threat almost until suddenly it's very very real and you're confronted with it and you how you manage that that fear and that anxiety and what comes up when suddenly the thing that you've just sort of always known is there in the back of your head becomes something that you have to say like is this really happening is this person doing something wrong to me is this person threatening me in some way um so i think it kind of it toes that line and it speaks to that moment for so many people which i f- i find pretty relatable
3: yeah i think you know dating is complicated because people are complicated and um... A lot of people don't feel comfortable um, just being upfront and honest about their desires. So there's a lot of like guessing about what people's intentions are and what their motivations are. Um, And I think like something that I do in real life and something that I think my character does in the film is um, I tend to like build up potential like romantic partners in my mind before I really know them. And so I have this kind of like fantasy image of them, which she has in the film Um, And it's really easy to kind of have this sort of like naive trust of the person that you're about to be very vulnerable with. Um, You know, you're going out maybe to their their home and you don't know them. Um, So kind of like Sarah said, it's just um, this sort of underlying sense of danger that is always with us when we're operating in the world. And I think that's really like the journey that my character takes in the film. She goes from being sort of naive and and open to being really traumatized and scared based on the experience that she has.
1: In addition to the storyline being on True Events, um, Charlie, it's based on personal experience. How did you approach a project like this that can have you be vulnerable, maybe uncomfortable, but you still have to get the story told? How did you approach doing something that's so personal to you?
3: Yeah, so the inspiration for this story came from something that actually happened to me and two friends during the pandemic. Um, my friend uh, got on the apps and she had never been on them before, but she was just trying it out and unfortunately had this really bad experience um, pretty early on um, and we just all happened to be there for it. So I was actually, I don't play myself in the film, I actually play my friend. So I, my character... Is based on my friend and Cleo is based on me. So during this experience in real life, I was sort of witnessing it all happen. And when, when it was over and we were upstairs and felt safe, I kept thinking, wow, like this is kind of like film. Like this is this is such a crazy thing that happened. But when I was writing the script, I wanted to keep the essence of the real people, but I didn't want the characters to actually like be carbon copies of the people. And I think in the performances too, Sarah and I talked a lot about um, not trying to play the real person that the characters were based off of, because we wanted each actor to sort of bring themselves and their own experience to the characters, because it is a very relatable experience. Unfortunately, everyone in our cast basically had a, an experience that they could relate to this story. And so I really wanted to make it original.
4: I think an interesting part of the process was finding that um, separation of the commitment to telling what happened, like relaying events versus separating yourself from that and looking at like what story we're telling with the film itself. And that was a big part of our creative process because I wasn't there when it actually happened and Charlie was. So I think that that's where it was helpful us working together because we could really talk through like, is this scene necessary? Is this line necessary? Or are we just saying something that happened? Are we like relaying an event versus are we telling the overall narrative of the story? So it was sort of like we could look at it from the micro and the macro together kind of, which was helpful.
1: I love that. And Sarah, while I have you, what was most fulfilling for you to be a part of this project?
4: Honestly, it was really fulfilling for me to work with Charlie in this new way and for me to get the opportunity to work on a film project because it's something that I love and I I engage with it so much as a as a viewer and I had as an actor and from other production side of it, but I'd never been able to sort of use my creative force in the film uh, sphere. And my passion is working with actors. So it was so wonderful. What I love about this film is the relationship between the characters and especially the friends. And so just having the moments where we really got to work with them and and build that relationship and build the connection that you see on screen in a way that felt really organic. I think because of the circumstances of pandemic filming, it was such an intimate process. And so the actors really developed a a really deep and genuine connection with one another during the process. And it felt sort of like a sleepover the whole time. So in that getting to then bring that to life on set and allowing them to improvise and create their own relationships and create their own moments. um, It was really beautiful. And then seeing that come to life in the, in the edits and in the film is so heartwarming and exciting.
1: Charlie, what should audiences Brace themselves for? And also, what do you hope they take away from watching?
3: I would say audiences should brace themselves for something that is surprising, a little bit scary, a little bit funny, hopefully, but ultimately uh, an emotional story. The message that I hope audiences take away. Um, well, like I said before, the inspiration for telling the story came from a real life experience um, and whenever I would share that experience with other women or non-binary folks, they would always, always, always say, oh, my God, you know, something like that happened to me, too. This like creepy experience happened or like, you know, guess what happened on my date the other night? And so when I realized that so many people had such a similar story, I felt this is a really important issue that needs to be discussed and addressed. What was interesting was when I was workshopping the script during the pandemic with a bunch of different groups, it was always really fascinating to me to hear the different responses from the men and the women in the group. Like I said, the women would always say, oh my gosh, like I relate to this so much. Like Thank you for writing this. I've had my own experience. And a lot of times the men would just be like, yeah, like it was good, but I don't really get it. Like Nothing really happened in it. But there was one guy who after the reading, um, after reading the script said, wow, I never considered this before. But um, the difference between a bad date for me as a man and a bad date for a woman is so intense. For me, it's just maybe it's a bit awkward or it feels like a waste of time. But for a woman, it can be frightening and sometimes dangerous. And I think that was that made me so happy that that actually shifted somebody's mindset about it doesn't matter if your intentions are good, but sometimes your behavior can make a woman feel really scared and really unsafe. And I think that's something that's not talked enough about um, in like the dating world and sort of like society. I think it's becoming more of a hot topic of discussion. But I left the ending of the film vague intentionally Uh, with the hopes that it would kind of spark that discussion. What did happen at the end? That's what I want people to, to question and talk about.
1: You know, when we were younger, a lot of us were taught to not talk to strangers. But now that we're in a digital media world, we're connected with so many strangers. And, you know, we can't look at everyone um, as they're going to get us, but we have to have these narratives to tell us to be cautious, to be careful to, you know, vet people or, you know, have a friend um, text you your location and, and things like that, that we talked about today, um, because you just never know. Um, in this world, you just never know. And Charlie, I just want to give you your flowers because your with community is so proud of you. And you are a huge role model amongst our community. And we would love to know what sparked your decision to join NYWIF.
3: Oh, my gosh. I joined NYWIF as one of the first things I did when I graduated from college because I really wanted a local community of people who could inspire me, mentor me, collaborate with me, and also just ultimately become friends and you know just share this love of this medium that we have because um, filmmaking is collaborative it is about people that you know it's about relationships and so NIWF has been one of the the main resources for me in my like filmmaking journey and it's been incredibly valuable.
1: And you will continue to have our entire community support
3: and you as well Sarah where can audiences see the film? we will be screening at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival in Williamsburg on October 15th. We're in the Home Invasion 2 block and we actually just found out we'll be screening at the Austin After Dark Festival as well and we're actually nominated for Best Horror Comedy Film. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Iconic. I love it. Yeah, we're very excited. Thank you. You're
1: welcome. Exciting date. Any other projects you would like our listeners to know about or how
3: they can follow you online and keep up to date? Oh, please. Yeah. Um, I'm at Charkable, C-H-A-R-K-A-B-L-E on Instagram. And I have a couple projects coming out. I just directed a music video for a musician named Reed Jenkins. That'll be out on October 2nd. Mm-hmm. Wesley Hahn, who plays M in the film, wrote a short film that I'll be directing Early next year. I know becoming friends and family on set is how it goes. And I'll be playing the lead role in a indie film called Moment by Moment that films early next year. So there's gonna be a lot coming up. And please like reach out if you want to collaborate, if you have a project that you want to work on, or if you just want to chat.
1: Yes. How about you, Sarah?
4: You can find me on Instagram at lost that's L-O-S-T-S-R-A-H. I am hoping to work on more things coming up. I have a few theatrical projects in the pipeline that um, I'm still developing with some friends. So stay tuned. But I always start to post more and more on my on my socials as, as I work on projects. So hoping for for a fun and busy fall and heading into winter.
1: Congratulations to you both listeners. I highly recommend you watch Versace Softboy. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Sarah. You both are awesome. Keep being an inspiration. Thank you so much, Tammy. Thank
0: you so much, Tammy. Thank you so much, Tammy, as well as Charlie and Sarah for joining us on the podcast and also for bringing us this really wonderfully creepy and sadly true story about horrific and scary dating issues. I love when she talked about how that one guy in the focus group basically said, wow, I didn't realize what it was like for women to have a bad date. For me, it's just like, oh, it's an uncomfortable situation. But for women, it could be so much scarier. And I think that perspective is so
1: important. Absolutely, Janine. You're so on point there. And we also talked about how growing up, we're told to not talk to strangers. Mm -hmm. And now in this digital Blooming world. We have a whole metaverse and internet full of strangers that we're trying to get to know and get connected with and network with. But like you said, see the red flags, just be cautious, but have fun as well. But this movie is highly recommended that people watch for sure.
0: Now we're going to bring you an episode of Katie's Corner, a brief with programming update from Senior Director of Communications, Katie Chambers.
5: New York Women in Film and Television is proud to introduce the NYWIFT Masterclass Series. This series offers in-depth virtual multi-class workshops that explore various aspects of the film, television, and media industry. Led by award-winning experts, the classes will teach students about the craft, content, and business strategies involved in each creative pursuit, building a solid foundation for artistic fulfillment and commercial success. The first Masterclass series launches in October, with critically acclaimed writer Amy Fox teaching Masterclass series Writing for Television. Powerful television can shape hearts, change minds, and expand worldviews with memorable characters and riveting plots. You have your story idea, but how can you translate it to the screen? This series of three Masterclasses focuses on building the foundation for you to write an original narrative TV pilot. Writers at all levels will walk away from this course with marketable skills and renewed passion, from those writing their first script to more experienced writers looking to dive into their next project and refresh their approach. The class is offered in three sessions on Monday, October 16th, October 23rd, and October 30th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Eastern. It costs $25 for members to attend and $45 for non-members. However, Women Crush Wednesday's listeners can save 10% off registration with the Discount code NYWIFT10.
1: Thank you so much, Katie. NYWIFT always has great programming. Listeners, definitely keep up to date on our website, NYWIFT.org. And I'm also going to recommend, as I always do. I know what you're going to say. (laughs) (laughs) daryl <laughs> daryl's back Disson. right yes uh, i got to pre-screen all six episodes i also had to be a part of the press day with the non-sag actors from france which is amazing unfortunately i couldn't interview norman Reedus due to the strike um limitations but the show is absolutely phenomenal right now as we record this they're into the third episode the three more is- left i highly recommend it what is the title of
0: this one? The The New York one was Dead. Yeah, Daryl Dixon is the title of this one. The oh, New okay. York City
1: one was Dead City. And that one's finished, right? For the season. Right. Dead City is finished. Daryl Dixon has three more episodes to go. Wow. They're really
0: milking this franchise and you must be loving it. Loving it. Loving it. Loving it, Janine. <laughs> <laughs> How about
1: you? What recommendations do you have? Well,
0: I've been watching a lot of BritBox lately, and so I've been feasting on everything BritBox, and I stumbled across this amazing anthology series called Inside Number 9, and it is very similar to like the format of Black Mirror, but in my opinion, it's so much better. And I can't believe I hadn't heard about it or come across it before, because it's going into its ninth season which is insane. And, you know, cause I watch a lot of TV. It's 30 minute episodes. Everyone features a new funny, twisted, dark story that is insanely smart and extremely unexpected. I can't believe how every episode blows me away where, how it concludes. It's just jam packed. And I have to say, it's one of the best written shows that I've ever watched. Black Mirror seems to get all of the buzz, especially, you know, out here in the States. But I read an article where even the Black Mirror creator, Charlie Booker, he says that it's so cleverly done, I could never do that. Inside number nine, BBC on BritBox, you might be able to find it in other ways. It is amazing. I can't wait for the ninth season. That is my recommendation.
1: Well, I definitely have my homework ahead that I want
0: to watch immediately. Yes, yes, definitely. And I want, I don't know anybody else who watches it. So I need other people to watch <laughs> it. So then we, then we could talk about it because <laughs> I, I'm just obsessed with it. So listeners, if you have a recommendation, an accomplishment, a story that you want to share, if you would like to be featured on an upcoming episode or anything, please, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us. Email us at communications at ninewift.org.
1: Be sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, then leave a review as it helps others find their way to us. Also, be sure to check out ninewift.org for the latest news, blog posts, and programmed events from New York women in film and television. Thank you,
0: Tammy. Thank you all for joining us today. We are so happy to be back and we can't wait to bring you more fun episodes. And until we meet again, keep on crushing it.